As we've been working through the book of Hebrews, we've been working through some chapters, the beginning of the book of Hebrews, that, as it were, focus us on the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, why we need to make him the very center of our focus. If you look at the passage we're looking at today, Hebrews 3, verse 1, it says there in the middle of the verse, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. That word consider, it means put your mind to or focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. A few times I've given you the image or the idea of when you try to get a child to focus. Sometimes children, they're, they're distracted and they're losing their train of thought and they're losing their attention. And we as parents, we, we might take their little cheeks between our hands and we hold their cheeks and we make them look in our eye and, and to focus for a minute on what we're saying. And we try to get it through their heart and their mind. And here, this book of Hebrews, it's been pointing us and it's been focusing us, zooming us in and back in on really the Lord Jesus Christ the Savior, and looking to Him and keeping our focus on Him. We live in a world now with many, many distractions. Think of the 24-7 news cycle. You think of all that's going on in the world, the, the discussion that's going on with coronavirus and international tensions and the marching on of different technologies and how there's concerns. And it's very easy, isn't it, every day to get distracted by the cares of this life, the economy, or whatever else it may be. It's also very easy for us to to look for different saviors, to look for for ways to get out of trouble. And and some of them might be good things or blessed things. God gives us, and think of if we're sick, there's many medications, just an ibuprofen or a Tylenol helps us out, or or maybe it's financial planning. We look at the way things are going, and we, we try to be careful and with our money, all good things. But here in Hebrews, we're being pointed to and focused on Jesus Christ, the great high priest at the right hand of God the Father. And especially in the first chapters, we saw that the attention of the Hebrews was, was turned from angels to Jesus. That was one of the main themes of chapters 1 and 2. We know that ancient people, to them, the greatest experience, the greatest ideal, the, the best of the best would be a visit from an angel. You see that throughout the Old Testament, that when an angel visits somebody, that's a big deal. That's very special. You even see that in our day. How do some people claim credibility? It's It's with a visit from an angel. Think of the founder of the the Mormon cult, Joseph Smith. He claimed credibility by being visited by an angel on a mountaintop and, and given this great revelation. And that kind of ideal, that was very high in the mind of the Hebrews, that 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 would be about the best experience you could have in life. To have some kind of even whisper in your ear from an angel, some kind of revelation. But here, Hebrews is pointing us to how the Lord Jesus Christ is better and greater. And we've looked especially at angels, how Jesus is greater than angels, that he is even God. We looked at how he's greater than Abraham, the last section also. And here today, we're especially focusing, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, on how Jesus Christ is greater than Moses. Greater than than Moses. Now Moses loomed large also in the minds of the Hebrews and of the Israelites. 
You could almost think of them having a a hierarchy or a list of levels in their minds. And and yes, God would be on the top, but then there would be angels. and, And Moses, that's about as great as a man can possibly get. Moses went to the top of Mount Sinai. We looked at actually before how, how the law was given to Moses, even by angels, through angels. We don't see that as clearly, but you can see hints of that. We saw in Numbers and in other places that there was this heavenly host surrounding Mount Sinai. And so Moses, being the, the receiver of God's revelation, he was seen as very high. And now, as it were, the author to the Hebrews, he He checks off another box or he eliminates another step, another temptation that the Hebrew people might have to make something or somebody greater than Jesus. And here it's Moses. And now we're going to look at how Jesus is greater than Moses. First, we'll consider briefly the identity of Jesus, the identity of Jesus. Second, the faithfulness of Jesus. And third, the glory of Jesus Christ. So first, his Identity. Here, the, uh, the, leader, or the writer to the Hebrews, I think the Apostle Paul, um, seems to be the most likely candidate from the closing especially. I know we haven't been in Hebrews for a while, but if you look at the ending verses, it sounds very much like the Apostle Paul. And it's some, many people think it's something of a sermon manuscript, perhaps a little less of a letter and more of a sermon that he's writing. But here our attention is turned. Think of that little child. The cheeks are turned and they're turned. Consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. You noticed it's, it's addressed to the holy brethren and partakers of the heavenly calling. These are Christians. These are believers. These are people who are set Apart. These are partakers of the heavenly calling. These are God's covenant people. And the fact that he comes with this word consider and turns their attention to Jesus Christ, it, it reminds us that it's possible for a Christian even to lose their focus on Jesus to some degree. That they can start getting caught up. And here for these people, one temptation, angels, another, Moses. That they could get caught up with looking to Moses. And an especially parallel or similar temptation to that is getting caught up with what we call legalism. Looking to the law of Moses and and trying to climb a ladder to God and trying to do our good works. And that that a Christian can start to err and they can start to turn to, to looking to Moses and the things of Moses instead of to the Lord Jesus Christ and seeing all things through him. And here he reminds, consider. So put your mind to, focus on. That's a call even to you today. Focus on Jesus Christ, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now you might think that's unusual. Why is Jesus being called an apostle? I thought that was the 12 plus Paul. Well, the word apostle means the sent ones, the sent ones, the ones that were sent to bring a message, literally just the sent, just like children. And maybe your, your mom sends you to go tell your dad something. Maybe he's out working in the backyard or in the barn and, and your mom sends you, go tell dad this. Well, you're literally in that situation, apostling. You're, you're being sent to bring a message. And the Lord Jesus Christ is actually the ultimate apostle. He's the main apostle because he was sent from heaven down to earth to bring the message of the good news, first to actually preach the law, 
You read that especially in the Sermon on the Mount, to preach the law, to preach repentance, but then also the gospel, the good news. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so, when you think of apostles, it's actually good to think of Jesus Christ as the main apostle. Don't become a follower of, for this first generation of Paul or Peter. Remember the Apostle Paul? He reminds in other places, don't follow Paul or Apollos. Here's the real apostle, apostle, the ultimate apostle, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then also the high priest of our confession. The high priest, you remember, was in charge of the temple. He would have been the worship leader of the Old Testament. He had to make sure all the sacrifices were brought well. But he especially was seen as a mediator between God and men. So you would bring your sacrifice and and he was purified and set apart. His robes were washed specially. He had to to wear special clothing. And, And there he brought the sacrifices and he actually prayed for the people of God. And he had that incense and the showbread and all these symbols that he was bringing their confession of sin and their concerns and their prayers to God. And here, the book of Hebrews, actually, as we progress, will focus us more and more on Jesus as our high priest. Not because he he served in the temple itself, but because he brought his sacrifice on the cross. Once for all, we'll get to that. A perfect sacrifice. That he is our high priest. And so you see, the, the author to the Hebrews, he's taking the attention of God's people, away even from the temple here. So don't look to the temple, which was probably standing still at that time. Don't look to that high priest. That's not needed anymore. Look to Jesus Christ. Come to the Lord God through him. Learn that he is a complete savior for sinners. He's everything you need. And so here in verse 1, just think of consider Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. And that's the, the anointed savior. Think of the, means, the meaning of the name Christ Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, the savior. Look to him. And now we're going to consider, secondly, his faithfulness. His faithfulness. The writer here starts this compare and contrast. One of the best ways to teach is to compare and contrast. He actually starts with a positive comparison with Moses. It's good. Who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. So now, remember, the Lord Jesus was compared to angels in the earlier chapters. Now he's being compared to Moses. And, and it starts with a very good picture. I also saw good things about angels, by the way, in chapter 1. And how they're ministering spirits and they're, they're given great and important tasks and they're holy. But, but here the Lord Jesus is, is being shown to be better than Moses. And interesting, Moses was faithful in all his house. That's a quote from the Old Testament. Numbers 12, verse 7 and 8. My servant Moses, he is faithful in all my house. I speak to him face by face. God says that. The interesting thing is the context of Numbers 12. In Numbers 12, what had happened is Moses had gotten married, remarried actually. And he married an Ethiopian. Now that's a sensitive topic back in the ancient times. For some people, that's a sensitive topic today, but 
If you ever have any doubts about interracial marriage, just go read Numbers 12. God gives it a resounding endorsement. God is just fine with interracial marriage. Moses marries an Ethiopian. His own brother, Aaron, the high priest, turns against him. Miriam, his sister, turns against him. There's something of a rebellion. They see something wrong or bad about this. They start to point the finger for his his marriage to this Ethiopian woman. And God comes, and it's as it were, he has Moses back. He says, Moses, he's faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face. And then, you remember what happens next. This is when Miriam is actually given leprosy. She's actually cursed with leprosy just for a week. She has to be outside the camp. She has that hard judgment. But what had happened is is Miriam had led a rebellion against Moses. And they had tried to take over her and Aaron on the basis of this this situation of, of Moses' new marriage. And God says, no, Moses is faithful in all my house. Moses has been a good leader. I speak to him face to face. It's, it's probably Numbers 12 or 7 and 8, the highest endorsement a, an ordinary man could ever get. Faithful in all my house. Moses had that hard task of, of facing up against Pharaoh, then, then of leading the people through the Red Sea across the wilderness. He had done that now for some years, and he had... He had dealt with rebellions and he had preached God's word. He had called God's people to faithfulness and to repentance. And this was a false accusation. Moses was a good and a faithful leader. And so you see, Hebrews 3 verse 2 actually elevates Moses. It's saying, Moses, good leader, excellent leader, faithful in all his house, in all my house, He did what he was called to do. He built that tabernacle. He took care of the people of God. He was a servant. And the picture is here, yes, Moses was a great man, equipped by God to do great things, appointed by God, but the Lord Jesus Christ is greater, who was faithful to him, who appointed him. The Lord Jesus was appointed by the Father, the Son, to to come down to his earth and to to work out that plan of redemption. And he was given an assignment and to come down to this earth and he was born of a woman. And then he he was humiliated as he walked his life and he was righteous. He kept all of God's commandments. He did everything the father assigned him to at his birth, or sorry, at his his, um, baptism. The Lord God, the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then later, actually at the Mount of Transfiguration, This is my son. Hear him. He gets the endorsements. Jesus is faithful in all his house. Even greater and better than Moses. He patiently endures the cross. One of the most difficult things is facing a false accusation, isn't it? Both Moses and the Lord Jesus face false accusations. The Lord Jesus, though, on the most unjust level. Doesn't that bother you, children? If you get accused of doing something you didn't do. If, you're, if you get in trouble for something maybe a brother or a sister or another child did, breaking something or, 
or hitting another child or starting a fight. Well, the Lord Jesus was accused of many things and he never did anything wrong. He was faithful to the Father and yet they murdered him. And the good news of the gospel is that he died for sinners. He was perfectly faithful where we are faithless. You see, you understand when we read the Ten Commandments each Lord's Day and when we think of the Bible and of God's law, we have to understand we are not faithful. None of us even measures up to Moses, as it were, and all the great things he was called to do, which he also did imperfectly. But here we have this picture of the Lord Jesus being faithful to him who appointed him, keeping the word of God. But then, verse 3, now it shows how his faithfulness and his glory are even higher. And now we're going to look at this theme of, of the greater glory of Christ Jesus. Yes, Moses was faithful. But now the Lord Jesus, this one, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, of more glory than Moses. And the focus in these verses, verses 3, 4, and 5, is actually a focus on the picture of a house. A house. There's an illustration given here. He who built the house has more honor than the house, for every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken of afterward. And so you have the picture here of a house, and a household especially, and a, and a house being built up. And here you have this picture that the Lord Jesus Christ not only served in the house, and not only came and did the will of the Father, He is counted worthy of more glory than Moses because He is the one who built the house. He even is the creator. That's why we read actually Hebrews 1 verses 1, 2, and 3, especially how it speaks there of how he created all things. Or you can turn to John 1 verse 3, the gospel of John, all things were made through him and without him nothing that was, was made that was made. And you have to think, even of all of creation, the whole world in this situation, in this picture, as being a picture, something of a house. That, that God gave the earth for people to dwell in as a home, as a place for us, that he actually provided that original garden for Adam and Eve. Later you have the house of Israel, and then the temple as a symbol of that. But what's happening is, is, is that God's actually creating places for his people to live, or a place for his people to live. And ultimately, even in the new heavens and the new earth, you have this tabernacle of God. He will dwell with men. In Revelation 21, and they shall be his people and he will be their God. Well, the picture of all creation, you can see it as a household picture. And that God is gathering people into his house and that he's building a house and ultimately a temple in the new heavens and the new earth. A worship center where he's going to gather in these thankful, grateful people and they are the called ones. That's the word for church in the Bible, the ecclesia, the called ones. So think of the, the broad theme of the whole Bible being that God's building a house and he's calling in and he's bringing in these people like Noah and Abraham and Moses, later his disciples and now us. And he's calling, he's inviting us as it were into his house. And Moses here 
Verse 5, indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant. Moses was used to build the house of Israel. But he actually exists as a servant inside the house. Remember we looked at creation in the last chapters and and how Jesus was over all creation and the angels were actually in creation? Well, Well, here you have this picture. Yes, Moses was faithful, but he's a house servant. That's ultimately, in one sense, all he is. You know what a servant does? The house cleaning. Bringing the food to the tables. Taking care of things. Well, that was Moses' role. A servant to God, but one of the people in the house. And ultimately, that's what we are. Unprofitable servants, in a way. We, we work in God's house, and we seek to bring him glory, but we are Yes, indeed, sons, but also servants. And there should be a testimony that comes out of that. And and Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. So so what Moses was doing was laying out pictures and symbols of things that would be spoken afterwards. So the tabernacle and the sacrifices and the whole Old Testament that God used Moses to set all that in motion, all pictures of what would come with Jesus Christ. And, and Moses had great glory in that, in being a servant, a good servant, a faithful servant, one used to do great things as a man. But here's the picture. He who built the house has more honor than the house. See, Jesus Christ is not just a prophet. He's not just a servant who works inside the house for a time. He's not just a good example. He's not just a good teacher. Not just a man worth looking up to or learning a few good principles from. Here Hebrews shows us without any doubt. It's he who built the house. Who built the whole universe. Chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. And the, and the builder of the house, he who built the house, has more honor than the house. Now, that's actually sort of an ancient saying. They took that for granted. That when somebody did a great work, maybe they built a gigantic temple in the old days, that they understood that all the thought that went into that temple and the design, that it gave glory to the creator and the architect and the designer. And that that glory was actually greater to an ancient person that they would remember who the architect was more than even the house itself. And I think we still do that to some degree. I used to pay attention to architecture. I don't so much anymore. I don't know why, but it was an interest in my 20s. I even thought about becoming an architect. So I read about architecture and got familiar with a few. And probably most of you have heard the name Frank Lloyd Wright. And that he's probably the most well-known American architect. And that throughout America, there are different houses that he designed. And the most well-known one is known as Falling Water. It's in Pennsylvania. And it's a house that has a stream running right underneath it and a beautiful waterfall. And Frank Lloyd Wright, he, he thought about how could he make this house really fit beautifully into the surroundings and he, he was the one who sort of pioneered and thought about that when we build a house, we don't just build a block somewhere. No, we try to make a house fit the lot and the situation. And, and here's the thing. You think of that house, Falling Water, which I would guess a few of you have probably heard of or thought of. If you thought of a house like that and you didn't know the name Frank Lloyd Wright, it would mean nothing to you if you pay attention to any architecture. 
There's quite a few beautifully designed, fascinating homes all across America that are interesting and you might look at. But if you pay attention to the world of architecture, it's because that man's name is on that house that people want to visit it and see it. And in any building designed in America by Frank Lloyd Wright, you can guarantee they'll put a plaque outside. And what does it do? It brings glory to, to him shows honor to him that, that he's the architect of that. And, and there's a whole school of architects that kind of identify with him and want to be like Frank Lloyd Wright or, or take inspiration from him. And without his name on the house, it's just another house. It brings more glory to his name. And being a good architect, it, it's his name that we think of brands in our day, but almost becomes like a brand, doesn't it? And there's more glory given to the builder, especially in ancient times, to the architect than to the house itself. And that's the whole purpose of creation, the universe. We don't give glory to this earth. We're not supposed to bow down to it. We're not supposed to bow down to the people on this earth or the stuff on this earth. We're not supposed to to be fixated on and focused on the Moseses of this world or, or even your pastor today. Supposed to give glory to God and to see even this legion, this building, is in his plan. Even this whole universe and most importantly, even the church of Jesus Christ itself, the house of God, he's building it. And that, you know what this even says? It says that um, he who built all things is God. And you go back to chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. And he who built the house is more honored than than the house. And you can't interpret this any way but that Jesus Christ is the builder and the designer. And he's the son over the whole house. And that everything in our minds, in our hearts, we shouldn't turn and fixate on Moses or on the church itself But we should understand that he is the builder of it. And that even means the whole Old Testament. As Moses was working, that Jesus was the designer of all that. The Son of God. So the Ten Commandments and Mount Sinai. And then go further back. The visits with Abraham. Joshua later, the the angel of the Lord and And you see the instructions given to Noah. You have to think of the Son of God being behind all of that. And that he's designing all of that. And that in perfect unity with the Father, the Son is is arranging and designing the entire Old Testament. And he's building that house and he's preparing all things for his people. And that he's over it all. And that the architect of the universe came down to this sin-stained and broken world. And he came down within it. And he laid down his life for sinners. And that's the glory of the Son. See, the great challenge for the Hebrew mind, and even for any mind in our day, is that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. What I'm saying to you today is that a man who died the death of a slave on a cross, some kind of execution stake, who was rejected by his own nation, who was beaten and bruised and destroyed physically 
and laid in a grave is the architect of the whole universe. That's what Hebrews is trying to keep the focus, keep the eyes turned on. Because there were many people who, when they saw that, they thought it was ridiculous. Didn't make sense. But this is the glory of the gospel that Jesus Christ, as it were, went down to the very basement of the house. He, he laid down his life for sinners. And yet he is the architect, the glorious architect. And, and Hebrews is going to continue to go through how laying down his life, he was actually laying a foundation. You know, when it comes to the house of God, Ephesians 2, Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. The whole building is fitted together. He's the designer. 1 Peter 2 verse 5, you as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Then you look into Revelation where you have the tabernacle of God with men and the new heavens, the new earth being a house, a temple. And the picture is, is that the Lord Jesus Christ, the architect, came into the house. He, he laid down his life for the people of God and that we, in 1 Peter 2 verse 5, were the stones in the house or were the worshipers in the house or were the servants in the house. It's, it's all about God gathering in this people for his glory. That's the beautiful thing. Christian, you are the house or part of the house. You are gathered in to the house. And it's his house. And he's over it. And so we need to look to him and not to Moses. And, and if this is a temptation for you, look to him and not your own works. Not thinking you can climb some ladder or build a house or even build a household of your own or Build a good life of your own, but begin looking to Jesus, to forgiveness of sins, to him who is the resurrection and the life as the builder. You know, it's interesting. Hebrews is taking God's people's eyes away from Moses and the temple and the law, in a sense of looking to the law or the ceremonial law for righteousness and turning it to Jesus Christ. And here, it's as if there's even a house reveal. Hebrews 3, verse 6, But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are. I don't know if some of you have seen some of those shows where they reveal a house at the end. I saw one years ago somewhere where they had the people watching to see this new house they had fixed up for a poor family, and I think they parked a bus in between them. And then the, the house, they, at the last minute, they pull the bus away, and the people get to see this new house that's been fixed up that, that was in shambles, and somebody as a charity work had come in, and, and they had fixed up this house, and it all looked nice now, and, and they reveal that house. Well, the interesting thing is, in verse 6, the revelation of this house is whose house we are. It's about the people of God. It's about you and me. The Lord Jesus Christ wants to build us to be his house. To gather in his people for his name. And the call is whose house we are if we hold fast. The confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Now you have to understand that. The holding fast, the confidence, and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end, that's not the source of grace. Don't get it wrong. Some people might think, well, okay, if we cling to Jesus, 
by clinging to him, that means we get to be his house. No, it's actually what we call a mark of grace. That, that if you are part of this house, you will cling fast to him. You will consider him. And it ties back to that word in verse 1. Consider the apostle and high priest. That we're to keep our focus on Jesus Christ. We're holding fast to him. And we have this faith that he's worked by the Spirit And we hold to the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. There's a picture of solidness here. And that's in faith in Jesus Christ, worked by the Holy Spirit, that we cling to him. You see the danger here for the Hebrews was that they could cling to their own righteousness. They could cling to Moses. They could go in the direction of looking to their own works as Judaism had taken a a hard right turn to the wrong direction. And the call here is, is you are part of this house if you're holding fast to Jesus Christ. If you're clinging in hope and in faith to him. If you're looking to him, you understand Moses can't save you. Your works can't save you. Be careful that you don't try to save yourself. Abide in him and he in you. And so once again, the book of Hebrews is turning us to focus on Jesus, to consider him, to begin with him. Amen. Let us pray.